Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Hello and welcome to The Best in the World with Richard Parr, where every week I speak to a different Olympic champion, world champion, former world record holder or world number one to find out what they do differently to become the best in their sports. It's a fantastic insight into what makes a champion. This week I speak to the 2008 Beijing Olympics triathlon gold medalist Emma Snowsill. We get a really intriguing insight into her training methods, into the mental aspect of doing a triathlon. We also talk about diet and also what she's up to now since she retired. We also talk about how she had to appeal the decisions made when she wasn't selected for the 2004 Olympics, even though she was the world champion, and the 2012 Games when she was the reigning Olympic champion. We get into all of that plus much, much more on this week's podcast with Emma Snowsill. All right, before we get to the conversation, I want to tell you that this podcast is now part of the Sportachino Network. Now, you may have heard me talk and promote Sportachino before on the program. It is the daily sports chat show that I host as a video cast on Facebook, YouTube, and crucially at sportachino.com. And now all of the previous Best in the World episodes are all at sportachino.com. So it's the place you should go if you want to learn from the very best, if you want to learn from Olympic and world champions. And let's do that on today's podcast. I'm delighted to say that joining me on the program is Emma Snowsill. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Emma Snowsill, Olympic triathlon champion. Welcome to the best in the world with Richard Parr. So great to have you on this week's program. Now you've got an amazing resume. You've had an amazing career, but you retired back in 2014. So let's get people up to date with what you're up to now, please, Emma. Yes. um, Well, I've probably in the last year would say that um, endurance sport has been easier than um, having a now 14-month-old. 14, 14 um, 
I'm now a mum, and that's very uh, a very different <laughs> a very different journey and process. And you um, don't get to eat and sleep and rest necessarily uh, <laughs> the way you would have liked to, or I guess what I'm accustomed to um, when I was training. But um, so yeah, I've done that, and I've done a bit of study, and um, currently just working on a family business with uh, my husband Yana, still racing. And um, I run all the all the behind the scenes um, work there, and um, yeah, oh, goodness, I don't know. I'm sh- I'm, I'm chef, nutritionist for the family. Um, <laughs> you, I, I'm still the jack of all trades. You know, that's I think that's what makes us good at triathlon, isn't it? You know, jack of all all three <laughs> trades, but master of none. It sounds more exhausting than swimming, cycling, and running all of that. Let's talk a little bit more about a few of those things. Yeah, it truly is. It, it, I've come to realise that, that um, it's a really you know easy easy way to have your dream job, I think, <laughs> as much as I probably never thought that at the time. With, with all these different things going on, do you kind of miss that even more regular routine that you would have had when you were training? Um, yeah, it's probably something that's, um, I guess, with having a child that's um, probably brought that up even more. It's just the fact of, um, you know, that you do have a routine and that you do, you know, know what you're doing fairly much every day, week to week, um, month to month, and you have goals through the season and races. And and, um, and that's something that I would say has been, yeah, probably challenging for me because it's all of a sudden, I, was, I guess I didn't have to think about it, so to speak, because I knew what I was doing. Whereas, like you said, now it's um, it is a bit different, and and I'm slowly finding that um, you know, you, you've got to do that in everyday life too. Um, I'm not sure why I didn't think I wouldn't, but it's just not something I think occurs to you until you're on the other side. Mm. And you mentioned studying. What were you studying, Emma? Um, I was just doing a, a basic sort of nutrition course, um, health and wellness coaching and um, sort of a little bit more along the lines of mentoring as well is something that I'm more more looking to, um, yeah, find. That's where I, I tend to find myself drawn to, I should say. Um, I was just getting a lot of sort of young girls that were, um, you know, asking for advice and nutrition is something that has been um, a, a, an interest of mine, but I'm finding it. I'm actually more, yeah, I feel more, I guess, attracted to helping, you know, not just young females, uh, males as well, but just about performance and, and more so, you know, the mental aspect of um, of competing and what it, what it, you know, what that requires in your training. And and um, I feel like that's, that's probably more where I'm going to be heading with, with sort of what I learned in nutrition is that will be a, a sidestep to it. Um, but also I just think, you know, just having the availability to help athletes um, in any shape or form that they want. And we're going to pick your brain on all of that on today's show, Emma. When you mentioned nutrition, what have you learned then in, in this last year or so that you wish you'd known when you were competing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say I've learned one specific thing because I think I've been a pretty good self-experimenter um throughout my whole career even as a young swimmer and I, I think really if anything it's probably more or less reiterated um things that I've known as you know um along the way and, and maybe sometimes you know deviated a little bit further off but really at the end of the day it's it's about the basics and it's about eating well and eating whole foods and I don't um I've never been 
one to uh, subscribe to a, a particular diet or um, I've had a way of eating long before, I guess, paleo become the fashion word. And, and I found that, um, that I was sort of probably more like that in my career and, um, you know, tended to, to veer towards um, that style of eating and meat. And, but then strangely enough, as I've retired, that's, um, you know, the red meat and um, has sort of, you know, I no longer feel like my body needs that. So I've been a really big um, advocate of yeah, self-experimentation and, and listening to your body what it needs at different times. And at the end of the day, I think, you know, we're, we sort of, you know, can confuse ourselves quite a lot um, in terms of, you know, what what we should be eating rather than just focusing on what our body really actually knows it needs. Mm. So let's give people more of an idea of exactly what those foods are you're eating. Maybe give us an idea of what would be your, your meals throughout the day when you were training, when you became Olympic champion, Emma. Yeah, um, I mean, I was a, um, I've always been a huge eater for a start. I've always had a, a fairly huge appetite. and I'm, I, um, So I would typically um, have, you know, probably like a banana smoothie for breakfast after swim training. And um, throughout the day, like lunch would be, you know, um, a, most of the time like a sandwich or a, a, more so a wrap with a salad wrap with, um, I'm a big fan of salmon and a lot of avocado. So all my salads, you know, include a lot of olive oil, nuts and seeds, um, cheese. So all good fats. And and then dinners was, um, you know, sort of like roast vegetables. Again, some probably some sort of fish that I that I enjoy. And and really, I just just using things in different ways. Like, I mean, obviously being from Australia and um, a lot of the time in summer, you know, uh, salads are a big thing, but to me a salad is not like cucumber, tomato and lettuce. Like, I <laughs> think that's, you know, that's a bit boring. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm very much, um, like I said, th- throw everything in there and, um, and really make a meal of it. So, I mean, that, that's a very, very basic, um, I guess, Broad term. Um, I mean, I've eaten gluten free for a, a, quite a number of years, and I found that that's something that agreed with me. So, as, as gluten free products become, have become more and more available, it's even you know things as bread um, is is something that you know all, all of a sudden you can have toast again because um, that's something that I've eaten. But again, really, I've I've really stuck to you know, cook fruit, well, cook vegetables mostly, I would say, and, um, yeah, not so much fruit, but good dairy or, uh, I guess, dairy options as well, and um, and then and really whole snacks. So a lot of my, my um, snacks during training were, um, like, dried fruit and nut bars um, and just the same thing, just very basic, but obviously in a more... Um, you know, easy, easy to take and go format than put in your back pocket for cycling and um, and quick energy. But again, nothing really particularly processed. And um, yeah, I guess as 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 much as you know, um, as close to you know how how it came out of the ground or off a tree as possible in some way. Mm. Yes, cucumber is definitely one of the most boring bits of uh, salad oh, you can get. I can't, <laughs> ah, I can't stand a salad like that. And if it doesn't have like a cup of olive oil on it, then it's also just boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think olive oil is the most um, widely used drink in our household, um, in particularly in during seasons. 
So um, yeah, again, I'm I'm just a big believer in in a really good you know good fat diet, and that adds flavour, and that you know that's what you know fills your appetite as well. That stops you wanting to you know continue to look for some more to eat because you know you um, you're just basically you know, you've, you've got your balance of foods as it is and all your carbohydrates come from, um, you know, fruit or vegetables. And, uh, you know, I think unless, like my husband is doing Ironman and, you know, you really need to top up and add extra grains and things. Uh, and I think I think it can be actually fairly simple and, and yeah, straightforward. Mm. Uh, you mentioned drinks there. What are your thoughts on drinks? What What are the type of drinks you would be having when you were competing or, or preparing to compete? Any energy drinks? Are they a complete no go? Um, I was just never been a big fan, to be honest, personally, because I just don't have a huge sweet tooth. Um, I, I've certainly gone through phases where you know whether you're in China um, and all you really know is Coca Cola. I've been known to have very flat diluted coca-cola and water in my drink bottle um and but in terms of training um again it's just been water i guess now coconut water is more available um and and otherwise uh, very basic electrolyte drinks and, and particularly like i said just more so watered down because i just can't i'm just not a big you know sweet person and, and i don't think um, I, I've never felt that, you know, high doses of sugar really agree with me either. So, um, you know, your home, homemade sports drinks with some Himalayan rock salt and some um, squeeze of lemon juice and that sort of stuff, um, I, I, I probably more, more tend to go towards. But otherwise, I've always just really stuck to water. Mm. All right, so we've got an idea of kind of what you were eating, what you were drinking when you were competing. Now, let's get an idea of, of what, what training is like. And what I wanted to really ask you is because I, I don't know too much about the competitive world of triathlon. That's why I've got one of the best in the world here, Emma Snowsill, on the program. And uh, through the different interviews I've had, when I've spoken to rowers, they say that most of the time, they're all about training and competing very little, very often throughout the year. While, for example, the um, Olympic archery champion from 2000, Richard Folds, he said that it's all about competing as often as possible, training very little. Where does it stand for triathlon, Emma? Yeah, um, in in the distance that I was racing, so the Olympic distance of uh, 1,500 swim, 40K bike and 10K run, um, we could compete probably 12 times each. 10 is pretty standard for most people. Um, I, I mean, the thing is we had a World Cup circuit and um, so we accumulated points and that gave us our world ranking and then we, you know, we finished uh, at the end of the year with a with a world championship and it's slightly changed now that it's become a series, a bit like motor racing that you, um, that, that it, the, the, the grand final is not necessarily who wins the world championship. It's the it's points accumulated throughout the year and, you know, the best sum total. So, I mean, in that series alone now, what we have, we would have a good eight races of that. And most athletes will probably run, race probably at least six of them and then a number of races outside of those. So it's very typical for triathletes to, um, who are racing that distance to, to race quite often. Um, then you tend to have you know, people who are doing the half Ironman, which is um, a 1.9K swim 
a 90k bike and a 21k run, I mean, you can still get some crazy triathletes that probably would do that many a year. Um, you're, you're probably looking at a, a few less though, more around your six, I guess. And then you have your Ironman athletes that um, I'm a big believer that, you know, well, two's one too many a year. Um, I think, you know, that's really demanding on the body. And um, in terms of getting out really good performance, but yes, for, for what I was racing, it, it was very normal um, to race a good 10 times, 10, 12 times a year. Um, very standard. Yeah. You mentioned what, the what exactly you were doing for the olympic distance of 1.5 kilometer swim 40k bike 10k run mm-hmm. and then you mentioned ironmans there as well now how important would it be to do those longer distance further than that to then still focus on exactly what you're trying to do in effect not over training but training beyond what you need to do does that help in any way or do you, are you just exhausting your body you mean to to compete, so to speak, in an Ironman and race in in the Olympic distance, well, or, or, um, or you... uh, effectively, uh, let's say it's an Olympic year and and you're going for the Olympic distances. Now, in in the yeah. lead up, would you be doing kind of Ironman events to just help build up the stamina, so it almost makes the when you do the Olympic one feel easier? Does that work at all? No. No, I mean, it, in the off season, I guess um, we would train um, a, a higher volume, you know, longer miles, but mm. it would be a lot slower. Um, but there's just such a, um, I guess the, they're so specialised. You know, one is is, is a an eight, well, for the best men in the world, eight hours, best women, nine hour event, and this is you know for us uh, a two hour event. So you're using very different energy systems. Um, you know, you, you're basically focusing on your on your speed, um, whereas you know an Ironman is is really about you know trying to find that overall you know best pace and that you can hold for eight nine hours. So you would find in an Olympic year typically, um, yeah, probably more around those eight sort of seven to eight months out um, is when you're doing the longer volumes. Um, but you wouldn't particularly race an Ironman. I mean, there have been people who've done it, um, but it's, you know, personally, I wouldn't say that would have been ideal for me. Uh, it, it's a matter of that I, as you come into the season and you pick your races, and again, I raced a lot less in an Olympic year just to make sure that I was, um, you know, fresher and, and more so mentally sharp. But as you were coming out of those long miles, you'd basically um, start cutting back the miles, but you'd start adding in the intensity. So, um, you know, the paces that you were running, running and swimming were, were getting increasingly faster, um, but you would actually drop the amount of, of kilometres that you were doing down in order to actually be able to, to get that speed out. So it, it's a bit of a, um, yeah, I guess a, it's a bit of a cyclical phases that they go in that, you work towards, um, you know, when you have an A game race like like the Olympics, you, you you work backwards and you look at, you know, what 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 do you want your last race to be before the Olympics? Um, yeah, you go through a best case scenario plan, and and for me, typically it was sort of, you know, if Olympics is always around August, then um, around that sort of December January uh, time, January February time is when I was doing those really really you know longer miles. Mm, sounds like there's a lot of effort going in on the planning there and how would you kind of divide up the training for the swimming cycling and running would you ever do them 
separately on different days or would you try and do a little bit of all of them each day? Um, it would vary day to day. Uh, I mean, you would certainly have days where you would do all three, but particularly on that sort of day, one of them would be a much, say, maybe a much smaller session, um, maybe more like a recovery run, whereas you may have had like a hard swim and a hard bike. Uh, and then the other days you may have a harder run and a hard bike. And so, so some days would, you know, would be a hard bike session and a, a hard run off it. So there'd be even sessions where you would practice that, you know, the, the bike to run, um, because it, it is obviously very different and to get your, um, your legs used to, to running fast off a, off a bike. And, um, and then you would have, uh, you know, for me, I, I swim in a swim squad. So obviously that was a, it was quite intense as well, that type of training. So, um, I really devised my own, um, I guess program off, off a coach that I had started working with in my earlier years and just tweaked it along the way. And, and yeah, so I, I would say probably, um, you know, four days out of the week, you would do maybe all three sessions in a day. And then the other days, um, you know, would maybe just be two of the disciplines on those days. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Don't worry, we'll have more from Emma in just a moment, but I want to tell you that today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is one of the leading suppliers of audiobooks in the world. They've got over 180,000 titles for you to choose from. I've just been listening to Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Yes, it's the history of the Nike brand and how Phil Knight began it all many, many years ago, back in the 60s when he was selling the Tiger trainers and eventually made the Nike brand, which eventually went to a public offering. It's an amazing story of ups and downs. And I think for anyone interested in sports and entrepreneurship as well, it's really worth listening to. You can go and do that at Audible trial.com 
forward slash best. And if you go to audibletrial.com forward slash best, you get to try out Audible for 30 days for free. Yes, they will give you a free trial of their service for one month. And during that time, you get one free download. So yes, you can listen to Shoe Dog by Phil Knight for free by going to audibletrial.com forward slash best go and check it out and let me know what you think send me a message on twitter at richard underscore par all right let's return to the conversation with emma snowsill the best in the world podcast with richard par Let's have a little talk about your your journey, and and let's talk about your your career, uh, Emma. How did you first get into um, triathlons? I was actually a swimmer as I grew up. Uh, from uh, as young as I can remember, I've been in the pool, loved swimming, wanted to go to the Olympics for swimming, and then it was actually a girl in my swim club who was sort of involved in triathlon, and her parents more so. And we have a huge triathlon in um, in Australia called the Noosa Triathlon Festival. And you can obviously take part in a, in a team event and everyone does uh, one of the three disciplines and, and their, their swimmer pulled out and she asked me if, if I could do it. And I went up and I came and saw this triathlon. I had knew nothing about it. And my eyes just about fell out of my head. I just thought, wow, like what is this? <laughs> Um, I knew I could swim 1,500 meters, especially in open water. I knew that I, um, you know, that I would, you know, I could I could do that well. But I just sort of never contemplated another sport. I was just sort of there, you know. It was a, it was a difference to being in in the pool and following the black line, and and it really just it just yeah captivated captivated me from then on. And and I was in only in um, oh, year ten, I think, in year ten at the time and so I was in my last two years of school so eventually the next year I did the swim and the run and then I think it was not even another two years that I that I did the whole thing so it was a bit of a slow process for me just given where I was at in my um for my age at school but really yeah I, I think I just became more and more addicted to it and, and obviously it was great cross training for my swimming but I just found that um yeah I, I wanted to do that and then it had its inclusion in uh, the Sydney Olympics and I went down and watched those races and and that was really the the catalyst to be like no no this is I'm go I want to go to the Olympics for triathlon and um and that really I guess just you know changed my trajectory and and where I wanted to go it's amazing how the Olympic Games have really inspired and motivated people and it's, it's happened a few times on this podcast hearing Olympic champions who've been inspired by watching the Games. That's fantastic. And just three years later, Emma, you became the world champion. How did that feel to, to be on that podium for the very first time being the best in the world in triathlon? Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of disbelief, to be honest. Um, that was my first ever um, Australian national, so the first time I'd made the national team, and 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 especially in the senior ranks. So at that time, we had um, uh, two divisions that were competing, or I guess more than two. Uh, we had junior, and we had under 23, and then we had, um, you know, elite professionals. And I was still young enough to compete in the under 23s, and but I'd been I'd had a number of results um, in some World Cups 
that, that qualified me to race in the senior race. So I, um, I, yeah, I, I entered that race. I guess you know, ignorance is bliss, and and knew that I'd been working really hard, but it never came onto my radar that that I was would have in any way capable of winning it. Um, I just I just went into the race doing what I'd been doing and, and training hard and and really not thinking about my competition. I guess that's a benefit when you when you're young and you're not really thinking. You just you're just doing. And to be honest, I was just in complete shock. I really thought I'd done particularly on the run. I thought maybe I'd gone the wrong way, or <laughs> I, I really didn't know what had happened. And and I was all bit, um, you know I was very shy. Um, I guess towards the end as well at the finish because I was sort of thinking, oh, I, I'm not sure if I was supposed to beat all these people that I, you know, idolised in the sport. So it was, um, yeah, it was a really big shock to me. And all of a sudden, um, you know, I was being asked whether I was going to the Olympics now that, you know, setting my sights on Athens and, and it had never crossed my radar either. Uh, at that point in time, I just felt that I wasn't ready, you know, um, well, I just didn't expect my success that soon. So, um, it, yeah, it became obviously a very different process and, and I didn't make the Athens team for political reasons. And, um, yeah, I, I think I, it was a, yeah, I've, I think I've had an interesting start to my career, but if anything, you know, that um, missing that team and even though I had the results to um, to have competed there, I think it really solidified in my mind that uh, from then on I had to do anything and everything to prove come the next Olympics that I would be you know there'd be without a doubt no way they couldn't put me on the team and um, I think that was you know a bit of a motivation of mine um, coming into Beijing really. Well, what do you mean political reasons there, Emma? Because you were the world champion and you were ranked number one <laughs> in the world at the time. For me you're, you're yeah. a lock for the team surely. Yes, yes, yeah. We have um, we've had some. Oh, what have we had? Four Olympics now, and and three of them have um, have all uh, you know had some sort of appeal through the the Court of Arbitration for Sport, and um, just because of selection policies, really, uh, that um, that they've just become, a, I guess, a bit wish washy, or or the the policy is sort of somewhat. Um, being very open uh, in terms of, you know, how to, we've had, say, automatic positions, but then we've had discretionary positions and, um, and, and races where, you know, they say they're looking at this, but, um, you know, then they're not. It, it, it's very hard, <laughs> very hard to explain. I'm not sure if all sports are like this, but um, really we had a couple of selection races uh, in the lead up to Athens that I was in some sprint finishes with another girl, uh, a young up-and-comer who hadn't um, really had any results until then. And, and they decided to take her and, and more so over the fact that um, I still didn't believe I should have been there because the, the other person they left off the team was actually our Olympic silver medalist from Sydney. So it wasn't just me that, um, that I guess, you know, didn't make that team for, for political reasons. And um, I really felt that, you know, our our best in the world at that time was Michele Jones and um, and she'd proven, you know, with a silver, silver Olympic medal that um you know that if anything that she should have gone even above me so 
Um, yeah, unfortunately, it's, it's the nature of sport sometimes. Uh, it doesn't always, um, you know, play out the way you would have thought. I've, I've come to understand that. <laughs> mm, I'm, I'm amazed that people who win Olympic gold medals in particular don't get an automatic place for the following four years. I had Etienne Stott, who won, a, I think it was a canoeing gold medalist in 2012 and then wasn't selected for 2016. I'm thinking... How can you not pick someone who's won you gold the last time round? And you had a similar problem yeah. in, in 2012. Now, that must have yeah. been even more frustrating because you were the gold medalist. It, it didn't, doesn't make sense yeah. to I think I think if, that, if anything, that was probably more frustrating for me that time round um, because the selection policy was even more clearly in favour of of our performances at big events and big races and namely being the Olympics. Um, and given I hadn't been, um, you know, racing up to, to where I had been in previous years, um, I did actually, I did actually appeal that um, for that reason alone. And just because I felt that there was a lot of personal, uh, I guess, particularly, you know, um, I just felt there was a lot of, personal vendettas maybe you would say between coaches there was just a lot of cohorting and I just didn't think that it was it was the I just didn't think everything was above board and and that's why even though I probably knew I was never going to win my appeal I think I just had, had to make sure that people were aware that um that you know what was going on wasn't what they said it would be and the policy clearly stated one thing and yet they did another so look it's unfortunate and like I said out of now we've had four Olympic Games um, we've had three times appeals and the only time we've never had an appeal has been in Beijing and whether the team was selected um, very clearly two automatics one discretionary and we've walked away with two medals so I still believe there's something to be said for that. <laughs> mm, yeah, your Olympic gold medal. Let's talk about Beijing. You went into those games as the first female to win three world titles. Uh, how different, though, is an Olympic Games to a world championships? What was the whole experience like for you, Emma? Look, an Olympics is um, it's, it's, uh, it's the most, yeah, as an athlete, it's the most, mind-boggling yet you know uh experience and yet very emotional and um i think the biggest the biggest thing i found for me you know particularly being in the village um and and realizing the reality of that we're now at the olympics was of course we're used to competing like you said on the world stage and at world championships but it's just you and your sport so you know you sort of know everyone to a degree and you know the environment but um this was just yeah, to be competing for your country with all these other Australian athletes that you've watched around and competing around the world and then to see, you know, other Olympic champions from other sports. Um, it really did, it does require quite a lot of um, internalisation and, and, and I guess almost um, blocking out, so to speak, as well, because it can feel quite overwhelming um, when you're in the village, you finally made it, and it's um, and, and and it can also be I guess somewhat distracting too. So, I think for me, being that little bit older, when I got to Athens, I was probably aware of that, and I was very focused on myself, and and I guess keeping my um, yeah holding holding myself together until after the race, and just knowing that 
now wasn't quite yet the time to really think about it and, and allow my mind to relax and, and to to take in um, where I was and what I was about to do. And I think that also helped alleviate, um, you know, pressure because I had a lot of, you know, I guess my own expectations for myself um, and if I really thought hard um, about where I was and, and all of a sudden the enormity of about what I wanted to do there, um, I really felt like I would have let that, external maybe expectations that I think that that I probably thought people may have had of me really take over and I think that can be really quite um um yeah almost crippling and and really detrimental to your performance in the end if if you're not aware of it Mm. yeah you you mentioned this is the mental side of things is is something you're hoping to help mentor people with now you mentioned in 2003 when you won the world title, you just went out there, you ran and you won. And the Olympic Games is a bit different because you're a three-time world champion. There's more pressure on you. There's more what you believe is mm-hmm. expectation. Now, are there any methods that you now look back and think, all right, this is what I did to help relieve the pressure? Is there anything you would give anyone advice to to try and not let the pressure get to I think to I, I realised just in, yeah, in recent time it's how good I was at, at self-talk and and not as, a, not as in confidence, not as in telling myself how good I was. It was more... Um, that self-talk of, of being in the moment and, and reminding myself of what I could do in that moment. Um, and it was something I really practiced, I guess, in training that I really wanted to make sure became second nature in racing. And, and, and it's like what I say now to a lot of young athletes is that, you know, if it's a two-hour race, I, I believe it's a two-hour concentration game. It's just about mental, as much about mental energy as it is the physical because, when you're on the start line, there may be 0.1 of a percent differentiating you and the other 64 girls. Um, in the end, it's it's who who's got you know that self-talk um, to to be able to push them further, faster, um, to basically tell their body to do things that a lot of the time it's not wanting to do. It's screaming in pain. It's got lactic acid, um, and that's where I talk about the self-talk coming in and being able to. Um, you know, whether it's mantras or whether you have cues that you tell yourself that you practice in training that you take into your racing. And for me, that's really about um, in every moment. And, and I had that in, in the swim and the bike and the run. I had little chants. I had little words that I would say to myself that, you know, when my arms were burning or um, – and, and just to remind myself, even sometimes I would just say breathe and just tell myself to breathe, breathe you know, because, um, you know, you, you know when you're trying to run flat out and – um, you know, you can run flat out for a few seconds and all of a sudden you feel the lactic acid burn. And, and that's, that's where all this self-talk, of course, the training is, is, is obviously a huge part of it. Um, but it's, it's being able to push those boundaries and that's where, that's where talking to yourself, so to speak, um, comes into play the, the strongest. And it's not, I'm better, I'm faster than anyone else. It's about wholly and solely focusing on yourself and, and telling yourself, um, what you need to do. Mm, amazing stuff. Now that's the mental side of things. After you became the world champion in 2008, there's not much you can really do because you were having some physical problems, some some illness. Just tell us about that whole period, Emma. It, it, it sounds pretty nasty, to be honest. Yeah, it was, um, 
not, not, not definitely not my my favorite time in my life. <laughs> uh, I guess it's like what people say, you know, who, who you know work, 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 and go on holiday and um, and get sick. And um, you know, I had breaks when I was training out throughout my career, but. Um, I'd never actually gone on holiday and I went on holiday um, actually for my friend's wedding in, in Bali and I, it was, I guess I was just ripe for the picking and, and my body and the immune system, you know, I guess I just hadn't given it maybe the time that it needed but for whatever reason um, I, I contracted a virus from, from their very, uh, well it's actually the cousin virus of the or Epstein-Barr mononucleosis, so uh, glandular fever, I guess, is maybe what people most know it as, and um, and that just completely flattened me. Um, and it's called a cytomegalovirus. So basically, even as we were looking or, or searching for answers, particularly in blood tests, uh, we were searching for things like Lyme's disease, um, Ross River fever. Um, you know, even to the point of, you know, is there is something even more sinister going on? Because um, my blood values basically were were showing no lot of anything, and and hence why my immune system was just absolutely attacking itself essentially, and and I was constantly sick, had them um, really really bad throat infections, um, colds. Um, and and at the worst of the times, I mean, I was in bed probably 14 hours a day, could barely get up for half an hour without laying back down and having a three-hour nap. And um, so there was obviously a chronic fatigue um, side related to it as well. And um, it, it, that probably lasted for um, a good three months I would say and, and then I started seeing some light and um, could find you know little bits of glimpses of energy and, and going from like you said being an Olympic champion to walking to the beach and sitting there probably for an hour and it probably took me 10 minutes to walk there um, was a very difficult place to be because I, I knew how how I could push my body. I knew I could push it beyond its limits. And here I was not even able to function as a normal person. Um, the fatigue was that great. And it was, yeah, it was a really tough time. And um, and my immune system really just got completely flattened. And then unfortunately, on top of the, at the first race, I, I did come back to compete in uh, that following year was in, in Seoul and Korea. And um, again, I just a perfect candidate because of my immune system was still so suppressed that I, I picked up a, um, um, a, a a parasite and, and that stuck with me for another two and a half years and just completely uh, depleted my immune system even further. So I, I pretty much got a double whammy. And I really, you know, I, I guess, you know, in hindsight, um, I probably had warning signs, if anything, that I should have slowed down a little bit earlier and um, and and maybe have, have potentially have avoided it. Um, I guess who knows whether or not I would have or not. But it's it's a it's a, not a fun place to be, and not not some place I I would like to ever go back to uh, to being that sick and that run down and just so frequently sick and. And, you know, the reason I also knew that it was my own body attacking itself because nobody around me would ever get sick. So it was completely um, 
a virus that I had that and um, that just that just kept turning itself on me whenever I didn't listen. <laughs> mm. And was that the the major motivation for you to eventually retire in in 2014? Yes, yeah, it was 100%. Um, I needed to retire because uh, what I was doing, you know, wasn't changing anything. Um, it wasn't it wasn't working, and um, I guess you know, if you can keep butting your head up against the same brick wall and getting the same result, well, then you're not learning anything, are you? And unfortunately, um, maybe I'd learnt the hard way that I'd pushed too far or just hadn't, um, you know, taken that time um, time, time off to, to, to fully let my body recover. And um, I realised that something had to change, you know, and I just remember thinking that, I, I got to a point where my only goal was to be healthy and to be a normal, healthy, functioning human being. And I remember when that thought crossed my mind, that triathlon just, it had to disappear for a while. It just, it just couldn't come into my radar because I couldn't think like that. I really had to almost remove myself and be like, no, this is, this is where you are now. And, and that part of you right now has to, um, really take a back burner in order for for that change to happen and for me to actually get to that point of being a, a healthy functioning human being and um, that was really hard that was a really hard step to acknowledge and and a very hard decision to make hmm. and that brings us full circle to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show and you mentioned about your your lovely baby 14 months ago becoming a mother and of course uh, your husband is also an olympic champion from 2008 yan now uh, does that mean we're going to get a third olympic champion in the family as well now <laughs> well i i guess it, i guess if he, he's into sport it's it's good for both of us we can help him if he's into physics math violin we're gonna have our work cut out <laughs> but um yeah look I, i'm sure as any anyone with children attested that their energy levels are high and and um yeah look we have we have no no plans for him to <laughs> to get into triathlon if, if he wants to or he doesn't that, that'll be completely up to him but i'm sure he sees firsthand um particularly what his father's doing he, he does recognize uh very early but yeah who knows who knows what, where it will take us. It'll be interesting because obviously he'll be growing up in, in a family where they will be, where he will be surrounded by triathlon and Ironman and everything like that. Mm. And you do wonder how it just um, organically affects a child to, to get oh, that interest. Oh, yeah. He, he already knows how to cheer and bang on the barricades. So that they certainly um, know far more than we give them credit for, I think, at times. Yeah. <laughs> And you mentioned the the family business. What what's all that about, and and and, and how's it going? Yeah, it's really good. We have um, so we have a little, I guess, a little sports marketing um, business with Jan's best friend as his manager, and we have uh, some clothing that's just been launched and uh, called Ryzen, and uh, that's going to be merchandising um, some some gear of Jan's, uh, particular gear of. A line of gear of yarns and and again just trying to work with some yeah events um for me commentary is a big thing that i also really love so they're all yeah we're all very intertwined in sports still 
And um, and yet yeah, for me, the, I guess that's where my mentoring and the, and the commentary come into it. So we're we're yeah we're in triathlon, or I should say we're I'm constantly surrounded triathlon, and yeah, I feel like we've got a, got our fingers in a lot of pies right now. <laughs> I'm trying to condense them, but I don't think now's the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, it sounds like it's a lot of fun either way. Or Emma, it's been really good to talk to you. Before you go, why don't you let us know how we can continue to follow you on social media, and also some of the links for your business and anything else you'd like to promote, please. Oh yes, thank you. Yeah, so my uh, Instagram is my favorite is is actually Emma Frodeno, so F R O D E N O. Um, my Twitter is is Emma Snowsill. Um, I have a Facebook page, but in our company um, or our apparel, if you're interested in triathlon gear, is Ryzen R Y Z O N dot net. So, looking forward to some big things happening out of there. Fantastic. Well, it's been really good to talk to you. Thank you so much for being on the program. Emma Snowsnell, thank you for being the best in the world. Thank you very much for having me. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Really good to talk to Emma. Hopefully we will get her husband, Jan, on the program as well. So stay tuned for that. Also, we've had some really good Olympic champions from 2008 on the program before. Maybe go back and listen to those conversations if you haven't already. Perhaps you want to know more about volleyball and the Olympic champion, Phil Dalhauser. He's been on the program. Maybe you want to learn about sailing with Anna Tunnicliffe. She's been on the program and is now a CrossFit competitor. That's a really interesting episode episode maybe you want to listen about fencing with Matteo Tagliariol they're all on the best in the world with Richard Parr as I mentioned earlier they're at sportachino.com part of the sportachino network go and check us out we're also on twitter at sportachino and of course on facebook as well so go check all of us out like the facebook page and let us know what you think all right I've been Richard Parr and until next week I hope you have a wonderful week goodbye for now the Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.